after all the storytelling is done, it's time to talk with the people that made it happen. Welcome to Behind the White Scarves. in Stone String Maidens is tangential. The camera never focuses all that much on Catherine Holloway, and that's kind of the way it's been for a while, because she is a mentor character. She isn't a protagonist. The focus of Stone String Maidens is the stuff between Penny and Harry and Ganny and Attar and the four of them together a lot of the time. Like mm-hmm. Nick Fury, you're just a person doing a job, but one that has to be done in order to keep a lot of the background stuff moving smoothly, both from an in-universe level and from a narrative level. You get some fairly key moments, the confrontation between uh, Catherine and White that we talked about a little bit ago, defending yeah. Windor. And although it hasn't been released at time of recording this interview, you've got that big speech that comes at the end of uh, the final chapter of Stone Spring Maidens. Mm. It takes 11 minutes, although I suspect part of that is the narration rather than just you speaking. I don't know. I'll time it. I'll see how long this speech actually goes on. Measuring it out, Catherine's speech starts around two minutes on the original recording of chapter 31 of the audio drama, and is mostly Catherine speaking till minute 10, when Donna Madrigal speaks and the scene ends. So the actual length of Maya's speaking is around seven and a half minutes, removing narration and brief interjections by others. As a result of the length of the speech, the two scenes that were originally meant to be part of the final chapter as it was previously written were instead released as the final chapter, which of course included the closing song, the credits, and the teaser epilogue. Yeah, that was that was a lot. I remember that speech, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that was like a huge, huge block of text." Uh, which... <laughs> You're kind of like a keystone to New Century, whether it's small moments that you did for Uncivil Outlaw and will do for Nightfall of the Wendigo. Or, as we got into during our News of the Century, expanded story prominence that we have to look forward to in the far, far in the future, back in time plus space audio drama. Mm-hmm. Having gotten to play this role for several books now and looking forward what's to come, I'm curious if you have new thoughts on Catherine's internal self, how she's changed or will change since we first talked about her back in, what was it, 2020, 84 years ago? Yeah, back in the, well, it wasn't oh. the before times. Before. It was the times. Yeah, uh, times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just the times. Uh, I would say, in terms of her character, instead of seeing a big change in who she is, specifically, I see her evolving more in 
you know, she, she started as and kind of remains this very protective leader type. What has truly changed about her, at least the way I see it, is the scale of her role. Mm. So in the beginning, uh, I liken it to your like spheres of awareness. This is kind of how I look at it. So, you know, and people go through phases like this too. You know, when you're younger, you are pretty self-centered and then your, your sphere of awareness it kind of expands as you grow. So in the beginning of Catherine's story, it starts out pretty small as well. You know, her influence is also a pretty small sphere as well. It's basically just her and Preston in the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. Then the events of Weir would happen and the sphere expanded to include all of the displaced people living there. Then it expanded again to the entire United States, the entire reunified states. And now it's expanded to include all of these different worlds and, you know, the parallel planes of existence. And I think it's a pretty natural progression of her character and it's, it's appropriate for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I Mm -hmm. I like that about Catherine. I think it's, she's not just an insular, I got to protect me and mine person anymore. You know, it's shifted into, we have to protect everyone. And again, for her, I think that's a very appropriate and understandable thing to happen. Mm, And it fits because she is the example right at the beginning with Mm. Secret Runes. At the start of that, there's all these communities that are fractured, that are scattered across America, Mm -hmm. and the White Scarves efforts with the Cartographer's Handbook is to try and establish connections. And Catherine's story and her participation and her decision to trust Annie and by extension the reunified states government for the past however many years her world is within Weirwood and now she allows it open up a bit and Mm. and as you say it just keeps on her world keeps on expanding but her approach and her mindset and her philosophy stays the same it stays strong and dependable and I think that's why she is this Nick Fury type who can just kind of, you mm-hmm. can depend on that no matter how many crazy new world-changing things are thrown to her plate, you can always trust Catherine to be Catherine. Because of her role as spymaster, tactician, the wide-angle lens, the one that tends to lead from the desk rather than in the field, Associating Catherine Holloway with Nick Fury, as established in the MCU, is the natural inclination. But listening to Maya and Toby talk, it seems to me that her arc most closely resembles that of Steve Rogers, someone who has continued to remain true to the values she learned early in life, and keeps managing to apply them to good effect, no matter how much bigger her world gets. I'm not going to get into this for now, it's, it's not the time and place to get into a story digression, merely highlighting it for later focus when we start talking about Catherine again in later retrospectives. Going back to kind of the second part of that question, like, where's she going to go in the future as we get into some of the... I think you can see that role of expansion just continuing on, really. Thank goodness mm. that she's that it's coming relatively slow in terms of like, <laughs> okay... Get get a little bit more, get a little bit... And at the very least, you'd think as being in charge of the NIA, 
she has at the very least more people to delegate to where she just like, okay, I just have to manage the people that are in charge of this. I don't necessarily have to oversee every single part of it all the time. Mm -hmm. I think you get more of an impression that Thomas needs to be in control of every little thing. Whereas Catherine, Catherine is more likely to trust the people under her command more and know how to manage them. Yeah, she may have started a little bit more, you know, just for basic survival, we have to kind of stay in our little sphere. We have to stay in our little bubble. But now that she doesn't really have to worry about that anymore, she's much more of a negotiator. Mm-hmm. Mm. The way that Greg describes Catherine's involvement in the ongoing state of New Century, it, it, that led me to realize that with you voicing Melaine as well, you played two roles that have a lot of oversight on the wider picture of the worlds of this series. So what are to you some of the key differences between the approaches and outlooks of Catherine and Melaine as these overseeing figures of New Mm. Century? Well, the most obvious difference, and I'll just go ahead and say it, uh, Merlane is gender fluid, so that mm-hmm. automatically gives them a different perspective and how they see mm. the world and, of course, how the world sees them is going to vary drastically depending on how they present their gender, you know? So going mm-hmm. beyond just, <laughs> like, that's something we could probably go into more, uh, you know, later, but going beyond just kind of a surface level differences, I see Merlane as being a little bit more concerned with the cosmic elements of the universe kind of the metaphysical world and mm. Catherine I and and this is again we we have discussed this before in in our previous interview I feel like Catherine has a much more spiritual side to her but that mm-hmm. is my own personal headcanon about her it obviously has not been expanded upon in any of the actual canon although maybe alex will incorporate some of that into her character going forward i don't know Mm -hmm. but at the at the same time i think that she she's got that spiritual side to her but most of what we see in the books again is is concerned with the physical world catherine is much more like it's it's hard because both of these people to me i think have a certain amount of like control that they want to exert on things like Merlane can use magic magicians and mages are often associated with controlling their environment Catherine is certainly in a position where she can control her environment as well because she's in a a pretty authoritative powerful position Merlane however they I think would be a little bit more accepting of the chaotic universe like they would be a little bit more like all right yes i can i can put some control out into the world but chaos is going to happen and i'm just kind of okay with that i'm Mm. not sure that Catherine would embrace chaos so much as as merlaine would she's much more you know a little bit more by the book so i think that may be one of the key differences between them is Catherine is a, a very straightforward very orderly person and Merlane may accept a little bit more of the chaos in the world. It does occur to me, actually, that if anything, based on how carefully Merlane does or says anything, it seems like they 
tend to be very concerned with, I know that anything that I do in particular, due to the fact that I know so much more than anybody else, could have long-lasting consequences. It's a, it's a different kind of diplomacy at work. Instead of trying to manage just one person, you're also trying to manage the potential outcome of whatever that person might do in the future. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of this character's conversation isn't something we're going to be able to unpack in detail until we start seeing Merlane as they exist in New Century proper, and discussing their role in our upcoming retrospectives. It's only occurred to me now that I should put a spoiler warning in this interview and the previous ones. My natural assumption was that anyone that had listened to the Stone Spring Maiden's audio drama would have already read or listened to the previous books. But I should also take into account that there might be some few to which Stone Spring Maidens is their first book. Fortunately, I don't think there's been any major discussion of plot elements in previous books that weren't already revealed in the text of this story. But it also means I have to be more careful when discussing characters like Merlane, since they are not in this story. To a certain extent, thinking about it, when you reflect on Catherine, you know, her sphere of influence expanding, in some ways Merlane is like the natural outcome of that, and be like, okay, I'm potentially responsible for all space and time. Well, yeah, exactly. It's, again, it's a, it's a much more like metaphysical cosmic source as, as opposed to being more concerned with the natural or physical world. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know what Alex has in store, but, and, well, I mean, I know what he has in store based on the stuff that he's already <laughs> written, but to be honest, I'd be very curious to find out if there is anything in the cards somewhere down the line where Catherine gets to take a step back and find some way, some space to be a person again instead of just a leader yeah because it definitely feels like she hasn't been able to be just concerned about herself for a very long time she mm -hmm. is her work and to a certain extent she may have closed a certain part of herself off not simply since preston died but ever since she had to be, in some measure, Preston's caretaker, in addition to everything yeah. mm -hmm. else. So, I don't know, given everything that she's had to carry, particularly when you were talking about how she was trying to control her fear response when confronting White, I would hope that she finds some way to be more than her work in the future. Yeah, I hope so, too. It's very easy for a character like that to become basically just their title, and that's it, mm -hmm. because of all of their responsibility. And she does have a lot of responsibilities. You know, that's not in question at all. She does have a lot to take on, and she's responsible for quite a bit, and has been for, you know, going all the way back to what you were saying, Greg. And I, I do hope that for, for her, too, just as a character. It's like, it would be nice if we got to see more of her interpersonal relations with people. Mm -hmm. 
which I think is why I enjoyed the scene with her and Mr. White so much, because it's kind of a rare chance to see her actually trying to have a bit of an, an interpersonal connection with another character. They're mm. kind of on a, a similar level in terms of their positions and in terms of mm. how much authority they have. But again, like, I, I don't care about all this. Like, I'm, I'm concerned about you. I'm worried about you. As a per- mm-hmm. like we don't we don't see a whole lot of that in her mm. anymore. Probably not since you know she had to deal with whatever was going on between Abigail and James. We do have a scene coming up in the future, which I'm looking forward to hearing enacted out. Specifically, when we get to see Catherine's interaction with one of her favored agents, Rebecca Wolverton, in Nightfall of the Wendigo. So there might be a little bit more of the personal coming into that because it seems clear mm. from the way it was written that the, the two of them are friends to a certain extent as much as someone that works for someone else can be friends with their boss. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. And just in terms of what you were saying, Greg, you know, like I think you've already kind of seen her, you know, even though, Abigail was technically working for her. You kind of got a sense of that between Catherine and Abigail. That, like she very overtly says, like Abigail's one of my favorites. Mm. Like just straight out, she she says that at one point. So uh, there is a sense that she does kind of have a, a personal connection with the people that she works with. So, you know, she mm. keeps it mostly professional, but there are moments where that side of her comes down, and she does relate to people on a more personal and a more familiar level. So I don't think it's, I don't think it would be unusual for her to develop that kind of a relationship with somebody like who you mentioned, which I'm not familiar with at all because I just haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. So Mm -hmm. that'll be a surprise (laughs) for me too. Yeah. Well, bringing it back to the entire group, we've covered a lot at this point, a lot of, significant stuff for all of you in terms of yourselves and your characters but i'm curious if there is anything that we have not already covered that stood out as being particularly easy or hard in regards to finding the voice of your characters i think i've already said my piece on the matter so Mm -hmm. Mm. it's a-okay for the answers to the question to be nope (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I covered most of that um, mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier. Yeah, I can't think of anything that kind of jumps out either. So, is there anything that we haven't covered that be like, oh, I'm particularly proud that I was able to pull this off in terms mm-hmm. of your voice acting? So, uh, random part for me then. Uh, <laughs> there was uh, there were there were two two really fun parts that I, I got the pleasure to uh, do. One, where uh, Ganny gets to take a flying trip through the air. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know the original episode released without any particular commentating on that particular uh, front, to which later I got to do a screaming oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. It was funny. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh that was that was the first time i'd ever tried to do any sort of like scream take type of deal i'm like you know what this is this is, this is pretty fun and also kind of hard so that yeah was... 
If only I'd remembered this part of the interview, I would have saved all the Felix screaming test recordings that were put at the end of last episode for right here. Oh, well. C'est la guerre. It's a difficult thing to be like, okay, I can put myself in this headspace. Okay, imagine that you have literally been tossed like a javelin through the air. (laughs) (laughs) Terrifying. I don't even know how people do it where you're like, okay, you're a voice actor. I need you to uh, record 20 different distinct versions of a grunt of pain so that we can include this in our video game. Oh my gosh. Those are easy. That that stuff is fun. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of fun and like sometimes it's like well just imagine that you're getting thrown against a wall and like what kind of sound that would make it that part is kind of fun i like mm, doing yes. the, the kind of yeah. sound effects um i oh, yeah. i also have a pretty good moment of like something that i was particularly proud of in stone spring maidens and if it's okay i would love to talk about this uh particular character mm-hmm. for just a moment of course Oh, okay. I know what this is. <laughs> I, I, I know. I was like, I'm like, Toby's smirking over there. I think he knows what it is. But okay, so very early in the story, there's a moment where it's it's a very kind of we're setting up the world. We're kind of seeing what it's all is. It's lovely descriptions of how color. It kind of introduces the idea of how the colors work and shapes and how you know the society deals with different uh, you know various types of disabilities and whatnot. And um, Penny is just kind of like biking to work and she comes across a carriage with a very stuffy lady with her wife and a stallion in it. Uh, and oh, God, the Karen. Yes, yeah. the yes. Karen. OK, I don't know what I don't know <laughs> what her actual name was, but we started to refer to her as the Karen. It's like almost a, a cameo appearance very early <laughs> in the story. Mm-hmm. But. I when Alex first kind of explained who this person was and it was like hey, yeah it's a, a Karen type so I actually interpreted it very literally at first <laughs> and played it way too straight and Alex came back and was like oh boy that sent chills down my spine that is not what I'm going for think of her like a character from the labyrinth super cartoony over the top play her like she's a Muppet almost, you know? So I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then he was like, oh, think about, uh, uh, you know, uh, Stephanie Sterling when they do the whole Amiel do hardcore. The Royston. Uh, yes. <laughs> so funny you mentioned that. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So I went back, recorded in like my best impression of that character. The first woman shrieked once more, narrowing her orange eyes. Get your head out of the clouds, girl! Stop eye-frocking our stallion! And that's what ended up making it into the story. I was extremely proud of this silly, over-the-top, like, goofy voice. And I, like, I basically, like, sent Alex this huge file that was just me riffing for like two minutes like I improv stuff I I threw in the actual lines which he obviously kept but he kept a little bit of my improv stuff too and I really hope that he puts this in as outtakes at some point because I did do a, a Royston line <laughs> I managed to get in a well, Royston like, and I was super well. proud of that Oh, don't you worry, Maya, and dear listeners. That particular recording was shared with me a while back. 
and we'll be waiting for everyone at the end of this week's episode. I was originally going to have the outtakes from this recording session at the end, but Duchess Karen de Hardcore is far more appropriate. Plus, our interview with Alex and Sharon will take up several episodes, so we'll save our Through the Window outtakes for one of those future outings. There is a very special place in my heart for the previous outtake that you shared with us uh, when oh we last interviewed you. It's not <laughs> so. quite as good as the the finger banging, but it's it's pretty it's pretty good. I, I was I, I was pretty proud of that. Bless you, Maya, for saying that with zero context. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost as good as finger banging. Wait. <laughs> but really, what is? <laughs> oh dear. Uh, and and, and I... certainly less terrifying than a child turning into a windigo. Because that that was that was probably my second favorite little thing that I did. Oh <laughs> God, yeah. I... Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yes, I'm I had sorry. To... I had to actually uh, allay fears from other people that were in the other room as mm-hmm. they came in and they were like, what is going on? Are you okay? What is happening to you? <laughs> For those of you that might be confused, in addition to his primary role as Ganymede Pharon, Felix also voiced Frederick Arlington, apparently both prior to and after infection by the Wendigo. I remembered realizing that Felix must have done the voice work when I heard those flashback chapters come out, but that was months ago by now, so it slipped my mind to bring it up as part of the interview. So thanks, Felix, for reminding us. Um, actually, I'm going to ask, uh, Orion, did you, was there any other supplemental uh, roles that uh, you recorded in addition to Atta? Because like, between Felix and Maya, what I'm realizing is that I have been lax in my duties of IMDBing the shit out of the like cast lists of this and just remembering, okay, uh, like uh, we're interviewing Felix, Maya, and Orion. These are categorically all of their roles, and I've just gone for the sort of title bill for each of you. So I want to amend my mistakes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was I was just Atar. In, I think it was Uncivil Outlaw, I did like one line mm-hmm. and it was. I had some issues with it because I wasn't used because I was, you know, kind of doing a screen take. I was supposed to be, you know, yelling into the mic and mm. I tried to do that and I wasn't sure how to do it without getting the audio peaking. Mm. So, yeah, it just it was a bit more flat than I would have liked, but it definitely made me want to practice more with how do you pull off like a variance in volume mm. uh, without like, you know, blowing audacity out. I can assure you that Atar is anything but flat in his delivery. He, <laughs> mm-hmm. One bit I will say, because if you're not proud of it, I absolutely am, which is in the first scene we meet Atar, and after Penny leaves, and you just hear him go, she's all, nah, 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 nah. like, and <laughs> that the sounds cracked me up. Oh my God, I was yeah, I, I remember recording that, and Alex was just like, <laughs> cracking up because I did several different versions of it. And so we were just kind of back and forth. Like, no, I need more of a you know, <laughs> you're bumping back and forth with that. Oh, it was good stuff. Amazing. Yeah, I think yeah. um as far as like stuff that I was most proud of, gosh. I mean, I hate hearing my voice. That's a hard thing for someone who is interested in doing voice work to say. 
because like when I hear myself talking, I just go, ugh, so nasally and gross. Ugh. I, I <laughs> heartily disagree. You are. I love your voice. It's great. Oh, thank, right? thank you. <laughs> but like, I think as far as like being proud of stuff, I guess it was probably a little bit more of the unexpected turn of being kind of a more comedic character and then being able to pull off those moments and like actually like finding myself chuckling or laughing at lines that I read. Um, not that like I wasn't, you know, happy with how some of the more emotional stuff turned out. I know there was, oh gosh, one of the recordings, I don't remember which one, where like both Alex and I were kind of like, <laughs> like afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult because it's difficult to write and it's difficult to perform characters who can be you know they're not just filling a checkbox of just they're the people who bring the emotional weight to the story they're the people who bring the comedy to the story because with new century pretty much everyone brings emotional weight and comedy and i think being able to actually do both which you definitely get with Atta. you definitely get with everyone but like you definitely i'm saying definitely too much uh i definitely am uh but Atta was a great addition that i like it's it's hard for me because i love all of the characters of stone spring maidens but if gun to my head my favorite new addition is Atta. <laughs> Thank you. i would i would say the same thing He's a different kind of character that we've seen, especially in that world. He's like a little breath of fresh air. Yeah, because to a certain extent, it's someone that feels like they can be openly critical of the world that they're in, where Penny has to manage everybody's response because that's who she is. And Ganny has to manage people's responses because of their particular experience, as Felix already mm -hmm. talked about. But even with everything that Atar has been through, he's just like, yeah, I don't give a shit. I think this is bullshit, and I'm going to continue doing my own thing, mm -hmm. um, because I have the good fortune to be able to do so. But that's, yeah. again, that still doesn't mean that their experience can't lead them mm -hmm. into vulnerable places, as it does. Yeah, he mm -hmm. has the, uh, I guess, the freedom at this point to indulge in that kind of being pretty openly critical. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would equate it, it to being the walking bulldozer, the walking badass bulldozer in the face of normal social decorum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he still I, looks great while doing it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, oh, he looks fabulous <laughs> while he's doing it. The other side of it, too, I think is that you know, we're obviously meant to empathize a little bit more with Penny. Like, you know, she's kind of our, our one of the really central characters, one of the leads. And we see a lot from her perspective. And when you have your, your main characters, like not everybody is going to like them. And that's a, a very realistic take on it. Like, no, not everybody's going to think that Penny is just the shit. Not everybody is going to think that she's great. So mm. to have, you know, someone who voices that, like, mm, you kind of think that your farts don't stink, but uh, they do, lady, okay? So <laughs> get off your high horse. Like, I think yeah. that's kind of a, a needed little balance mm. there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the directions that, like, Alex was talking to me about with kind of how Atar views Penny outside of just this kind of, like, inherent competition that he feels. Mm. Um <laughs> 
is that in a way some of the criticism that he directs at her is also of himself mm-hmm. in that totally. they both have a very kind of like they grew up quite comfortably you know growing up they both were kind of like they avoided a lot of the kind of like pressures of like the world of autumn they had you know enough money to not have to worry about things and now as adults like penny's living a pretty comfortable life despite the fact that like emotionally and like in her relationship things aren't where she wants them to be but she's still a you know more privileged person just like where you know Atar is as well, even though he has, quote unquote, chosen to be a second class citizen. He also had like the banking of his mom being like, okay, here's your hush money to like transition (laughs) and get out of my life. Yeah. You know, and yeah. And also Atar wouldn't have no way of knowing that Penny was dealing with all this stuff with Cal in her personal life. So, you know, it absolutely makes sense that he would have Mm. that perspective about her not knowing all the other things that were going on mm. in the background. Yeah. It's it's easy to poke holes at, at in someone else when you see mm-hmm. your own like flaws. Yes. Reflected in them. Mm-hmm. Yes. One of my favorite moments of the book, and I'm realizing that I essentially refer to every moment as, oh, one of my favorite <laughs> moments. So I need to be more specific. But it's when Penny is talking to Ganny and Atar about like did i just make the worst decision in my life and oh, yes. the narration <laughs> uh, the narration with atar is like very telling where atar is actually surprised at himself he really kind of wanted to make a cutting remark but he was actually able to channel that into something constructive but what i like about it is that it's not that atar has to change in order to fit into a supporting role that the scene requires. Atar still gets to essentially critique, but he manages to shape that into something where he realizes this person does need help, but I'm going to try and sort of say what I think in the way that will get the best result here. And I thought that was a great way to be able to get Atar to chip in and help in this moment without having to sort of compromise anything about who Atar has been up till now. Yeah, Atar learns constructive criticism. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Orion, just on a personal level, I wanted to share, I don't know that I've told this story before, but when you were talking about as you have before talked about not liking the sound of your own voice. I don't have this experience with myself hearing myself speak as I'm speaking, but every time I've ever heard my voice recorded on something, I always had a like, Oh God, is that my voice? Uh, I don't want to hear it. I sound like a complete idiot or I, I sound like I want to die or something like that. Mm. And That was a big stumbling block at first to all the way back in 2019 when Alex first approached me and Toby be like, how would you like to interview me and Sharon for the end of uh, Steamheart at that point? And I was like, well, I've done stuff like this before, but I've never done it on microphone. So... Yeah, I thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'd love to give it a try, but it was like, okay, I just sort of just need to go forward with it and not worry about how I sound. 
And when Alex finally released that interview to the public, because he was still running behind the white scarves at that point. Yeah. It was hearing my own voice working in tandem with Toby and hearing the responses of Alex and Sharon that kind of made Through the Wind Door possible to begin with. Because it was like, okay, this isn't that bad. I'm listening back to my own voice. I feel like I sound intelligent and not to whatever it is that I don't like about it. It doesn't mm. necessarily mean that you're not going to run into that problem ongoing down the road and everything like that, but it just sort of takes a little bit of time and repetition before it gets better. And I, I say this as someone that'd be like, I'm the editing force behind this podcast. So I literally have to keep listening to myself say things yep. over and over again. <laughs> And it's just it's it's just gotten easier with time and experience. But yeah, I remember at one point you were mentioning um, I don't remember if it was the New Century Forum specifically, but at some point on the discord that you were really looking forward to the possibility of more voice acting opportunities. Yeah. And that actually leads directly into the next question, which is I know that at least one of you that are here today was cast for a specific role in Panther Soul. And I'm curious about hearing your future desires, what the possibilities are for the kinds of characters that you'd want to play either in New Century or in voice work outside of your work in these audio dramas. I'll let one of uh, you two go first. So when, when, it, when it comes to... Actually, here first. First, let me say, since we were on the the story path of like, hey, don't worry about your voice. Everybody mm -hmm. thinks that they sound a particular way. How I sound today is not how I sounded for like the first half of my life. Mm. And I I say that because you know when when you hit puberty, your voice changes and everything. I'm typically a quiet person. As your hormones and everything kick in and you start changing as a as a teenager, you come across things that change and you didn't realize, no, you had to change. So as my voice got deeper, it was a, I can't hear you, speak up. Oh, I can't hear you, speak up. I'm like, okay, well, it, I, I don't know how to, how to make this work. It takes too much air. I can't quite figure this out. So instead, I'm just going to actually talk like this and we can just drop all the bass and we can go and run with them. You know, so <laughs> it makes it much easier. It made it much easier to be able to talk to people at distance if your voice was higher pitched. So went with it. Didn't really realize it was a thing until I started streaming, to which I quickly found out that because it wasn't a natural voice, it actually very much drains you. <laughs> and, and I was like, I can't, I can't talk for hours on end. Why is this a thing? Why is this a thing? I'm just going to give up on trying to talk loudly. Oh, people seem to like this. <laughs> Why is this? <laughs> what? You mean I don't have to do a thing I wasn't really thinking about? I mean, like you, you can, you can change your voice any which way you want. And I think that actually lends a credence to voice acting in any particular role and being able to run the gambit in the spectrum to which i say i actually am looking forward to multiple different types of roles anything from somebody who might be eccentric to 
doing something in Panther Soul. So mm-hmm. I, that that is that is actually something that uh, Alex poked me for. So I want to see how that all goes, and I'm I'm curious to to find the voice that that works for that. Uh, I'm so excited. Honestly, in another universe, I can suddenly picture Felix being like a radio personality and be like, yes, it's time for WBZ at night. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it's a running joke. It's like, welcome. This is uh, late night, smooth night jazz. Uh, WKLA's <laughs> finest radio station for the best <laughs> jazz that you've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Are we in the next book when we pick up back in autumn? Ganny's going to have started like a radio. <laughs> Feron um, on air. <laughs> Do you have your pheromones ready? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Do not let uh, Atar in the recording room. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's let it happen. <laughs> yes. This part of the interview obviously has been released after the sizzle reel that Alex put out for Panther Soul, where it's revealed that all three of our interviewees today have parts at least in that audio drama. I was most excited to hear Felix's take on Dakota, and you should too. I am not going to embarrass myself to suggest I can identify what accent Felix used, but it helped to make his character sound distinct and alive with possibility. Orion is also in there playing a pirate named Marco, who is a character I wish I got to learn a little bit more about in the book, but I'm very happy to hear Orion's take on this particular colorful jaguar. And as for Maya, well, let's get back to the interview. Maya, I know that you are cast for a role for Panther mm-hmm. Soul. I Correct. don't know if you can talk about it in any capacity other than confirming as you have that you are voicing a character for Panther Soul. Are you looking forward to it? Very much so. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Very much so. And again, I think everything you're saying is pretty accurate. I don't know if Alex would want me or anybody else to kind of spoil what the cast is going to, like, I know the novel version of Panther Soul is out there, but he Mm -hmm. hasn't necessarily announced who is going to be which Mm. characters. And Mm. I think I had mentioned to you that there was a bit of back and forth between uh, the two of us and and me and Sharon and like who was going to do what thing. Mm. And I was being a little bit coy about it purposely. (laughs) Ha ha. Sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> but even with that, I think I would rather save that for whenever Alex mm-hmm. is actually putting out the audio version of the book. There's going to be a behind the white scarves for pencil when that happens, so we'll save the discussion. For I that. will have so much to talk about. I can guarantee, <laughs> can guarantee, because I went down like. I haven't even started recording, but like even just doing some of the, I think we've done a couple of like vocal tests and things like that. And I was like, oh man, Alex, you have no idea how prepared I am to take on this role. <laughs> that is something we can certainly talk about when the time comes. <laughs> I love it. We're providing the teasing content right here for 
people to get excited about it. And <laughs> I mean, we never want to put any of you in an awkward position when we sort of ask about the future. We never want to actually sort of get anyone to spoil anything. It's just kind of a fun gag of ours that as these rabid fans, we are the Wendigos <laughs> of uh, New Century, that we're at the doors mm. just sort just of devouring hungry. that content. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, anytime that we can get just a little shred of uh, new information on here, it's we do eat that up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maya's role has also now been revealed in the sizzle reel as the divine leopard known as Mog, which Alex has characterized as one of the scariest characters he has ever written. I will say no more on the subject, except to leave a link in the show notes to said sizzle reel, so you can hear all of their voices for yourself, as well as the other major characters, voiced by our earlier interviewees Theo, Loreda, and Sharon, as well as the main character, voiced by Alex himself. Orion, in your case, I'm thinking about something that Alex revealed to me at one point in discussion, very specifically in regards to the role that uh, Laura Kate Dale played when she portrayed Dr. She-Ra in Tiger's Eye. Obviously, you were pulled in specifically as a desire to like, okay, if we're going to have a trans man in the cast, we want to have someone that is trans voicing that character but it feels probably far more likely that if you were to voice characters besides atar in new century that it would very likely be someone that is just cis so i'm curious about trepidation and or excitement about playing a role that is not defined in any way by their transness i'm fine with it I feel like I'm pretty comfortable playing a character that, you know, is cis versus trans or, you know, someone who's like, you know, heterosexual versus gay or pan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, in my own experience doing like tabletop stuff, primarily I GM, so I inhabit all kinds of roles. But for my characters, only very recently have I made one that is just like 100% like, yep, this character just up front, they're trans. Whereas, you know, previously I was kind of a little weird about that where I'm just like, no, it's it's just a cis guy, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like that I need to only play characters that kind of fit in certain roles. I'm definitely looking forward to doing more stuff in the future in New Century, as well as hopefully getting some roles outside of it. I'm talking with Alex right now about maybe playing some someone in panther soul because everybody wants to be a cat (laughs) 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 i'm not a hundred percent about that but hopefully fingers crossed i will say i will be playing in akka in the future yes because we already (laughs) know for those of us that have been following your various avatars or conversations on the school of movies discord you have uh, definitely played orc characters in uh, in some of your stuff. I remember one of your... I forget exactly what you said that their story was, but, but it was... Uh, I think they only had one major front fang or whatever that you were having uh-huh. as your air image. Had a very dad bod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was... Uh, I think that was my tiefling character, which is like a kind of 
part demon thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, okay. But yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely, I love monsters and all that stuff. So I've always, you know, been drawn to orcs. And in the past, emphasis on in the past, I was a big fan of Warcraft. Mm. Um, <laughs> and of course, all, you know, all that orc goodness. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a minefield. I, <sighs> yeah, we don't know. We don't have to... to... We don't have to that, go that, that, is, that is a multiple-hour conversation about an industry that's had a long-standing problem that is only now trying to self-correct as it has been brought to the forefront. Mm-hmm. That is all that needs to really be said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, what Phoenix said. Yeah. Concise. <laughs> Look, we already have plenty of real-world connotations dealing with stung, string maidens and New Century in general, the stuff going on with fantasy worlds and video games is completely <laughs> off the topic. Let's deal with the minefields we're already dealing with. Yeah. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that character. I can't give any details, obviously. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'll get to play a few other roles. Maybe if it's just doing some creature noises or, you know, pl- picking up another character. Do That'd some D. Bradley Baker work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So we're coming around to the end. So these are just like just some fun questions that you can go nuts with anyone who feels like jumping in. Autumn is a world where the social order is flip-flopped. For each of you, what do you feel like the personal benefits and challenges would be if you yourself were living in that world? Maya, I'm curious to hear from you because you play a character in the story, but you don't play, well, aside from the Karen, you don't play someone <laughs> that really has to interact all that much in the world of autumn. what is it what uh, what are your feelings? well, i I think the most obvious one is that, you know, in my day to day, as we keep saying, uh, jo- jokingly, not jokingly, my day job is one that has traditionally been a very masculine kind of job. Mm. It has been mm. in a very, you know, it was considered like, Hey, this is a job for the guy. Some women were not even stunt people for a very long time. So mm. I wouldn't be up against a kind of a lot of the, the same sort of gender stereotypes and uh, gender roles in terms of that. You know, they, they seem pretty concerned about Penny not doing very well in sports, mm-hmm. which was kind of an interesting mm. thing in the beginning. Like, hey, why aren't you getting better marks in your athleticism? So... Mm. I think that's that's definitely something that I would I would fit into a little bit more easily, um, mm. especially considering the the type of stuff I do and and considering that it is very physical in nature. Mm-hmm. It occurs to me that we don't actually hear a lot of what the sports actually are in autumn. So I wonder what sort of thing that nondescript sports term for that would actually entail. But honestly, all of a sudden, all I can picture is. Elaine lacrosse, but it involves <laughs> some sort of like the rods with nets have like crystals on them and like some like maybe minor telekinetic abilities. So like you you pull the ball into your net with oh, your man, stick you don't, or something like that. You don't want to be on the receiving end of a ball thrown from one of those. Trust me. <laughs> I can definitely see them partaking in something resembling blitzball. <laughs> you need something with like a lower impact or else you're gonna they're gonna get hurt a lot of these people are, are super bougie they're playing water polo over there <laughs> <laughs> with, with all um, the 
advanced technology, all of a sudden I'm picturing something like akin to Elaine Shaolin soccer or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. Kind of wonder what you equestrian know. sports would look like. They're all just <laughs> riding the, the dudes. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> well, they call them well, the stallions. The, they well, call them stallions, so I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> oh no! I, I think we, that is oh... actually a perfect segue into how I would feel in that society. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> in in light of the the story that I shared earlier, I I would actually be quite terrified because I don't take well to being kept as a pet. Mm. So, um, having that particular thing. Where if if multiple women were to find me to be some sort of physically appealing, like, mm-hmm. would I have to try to navigate a larger social decorum where I can't really outright refuse all of you because for some reason you would make my life harder than it is already? It actually is more stressful than living here. And that is, that mm. is actually a terrifying thought. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as for myself, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, in some ways, I feel like I'd be kind of in the same position as Atar, where I would be not super caring about, you know, uh, fitting in perfectly. Mm-hmm. But on the same token, I know I am a much more self-conscious person. I don't have like the perfectly, you know, timed biting remarks mm-hmm. and everything to defend myself. Usually when I am faced with confrontation, I am much more, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, either, you mm-hmm. know, shrinking completely or just instantly going to, I'm out of control mad and can't say anything. Mm. So, which would probably not serve me very well. That's not at all familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I was just thinking to myself, like, when I originally came up with this question, I mean, I came up with it first for the the first interview, which was obviously Loretta, Theo, and Sharon, who are all women or female presenting at the very least. So their interaction in those societies would naturally lend to specifically them being on the higher end of the social hierarchy. But I was also thinking about this question in terms of, like, would your experiences in our world right now be improved even in small ways by the fact that the Elaine treats certain aspects different? They prioritize different things. They prioritize different things, but the way Felix just put it, the idea of, okay, yeah, you wouldn't have to deal with certain aspects of being black in America— but it's still bad, just in a different way. Mm. Uh, I can definitely see that. I, mean, I just thought the possibility in terms of Orion might be like, if they're more accepting of transness than <sighs> the US or the UK are right now. Oh, if, if the overall... a few places are worse than the UK on that front, and yeah, yeah, I was going to say especially me. the UK. Noises, deep breaths, deep breaths. I wondered possibly if the experience might be. I mean, if you pass, you pass. That's one thing, but just like in terms of living in a world where the idea of it is more accepted, at least in the case of people not having 
violent reactions to it that might make it more appealing. But obviously, you know, your response is your own, Orion. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I would be treated, you know, necessarily better or worse on that front. I've been uh, lucky enough that since coming out, I have lived in very blue cities Mm. comparatively. Like I didn't come out in texas or anything like that mm-hmm. I, I i was in columbus and now i'm living in uh madison which is probably even more blue than columbus was mm-hmm. so like you know you like in columbus people would be like oh it's so accepting and whatnot and you just mm, i don't know but then moving to madison <laughs> it's just like there is black lives matter signs everywhere there's you know gay trans you know pride flags everywhere it just you know, I'm just like, okay, this feels nice. And then, you know, we actually have a mask mandate here. So, yay. <laughs> yes, good. <laughs> uh, but I think one of the one thing that I think would be uh, better about Autumn is that it is much more accepting of um, queer relationships. So, you know, whether you have like a, a polycule or, you know, however you know, many partners or whatever, I think, you know, that aspect would be appreciated <laughs> mm. that is also like a a thing that uh so i i have a polycule and that that is something that is interesting to think about in in the land of autumn now if you were to be going in and like going straight from here to there you would already be established in that particular realm so you can say that these are my partners and that's totally okay in the realm of normalcy that statement doesn't require further explanation for like the sort of general like social status quo yes and i think even a bigger boon to that would be that my birth certificate then would not list me as less than a human being Mm -hmm. also i just think to myself like oh okay if the question suddenly becomes it's not just me going to autumn it's me with my prearranged community through the polycule yes. then at the very least you have the immediate support of the people around you mm. Mm. and much I mean, less social backlash for having that kind of like non you know you know, you know monogamous one-on-one mm. kind of relationship mm. yes mm-hmm. before we move on to the next question i just want to make sure we covered everyone uh usually it's a one-on-one so uh covering three people uh making sure everyone gets the focus they need all good yes okay no it's it's near the end of the session and i think my synapses are starting to like <laughs> you know that noise when an old car has trouble booting up that's basically my head right now that is um, how i describe trying to think most days <laughs> just the car refusing to turn over it's just like oh come on what was that word where was i <laughs> yeah. I, I would say that coffee has been quite lovely a discovery this past year for that mm, mm, for I, some reason that that extra caffeine has has made it so that i can actually think I like my brain mm. on coffee. I don't like my brain off of coffee. We're friends. <laughs> yeah. It's a running gag for us that uh, particularly when we're doing the episodes where we're talking about a book that just came out, that I will have had at least one cup of coffee before we start recording so I can just come in like guns blazing. So uh, Stone Spring Maidens established that trend and it continues to this day to round off into the final question one of my favorite concepts about the world of autumn is the idea of color as a means of profound 
self-reflection and expression. We know what colours each of your characters have chosen for yourselves, uh, Felix and Ryan. Uh, Maya, we didn't necessarily get to hear what Karen's uh, colour was, or maybe oh, we did, God. I forget. <laughs> uh, but it would be a very sickly colour, I'm sure. Um, I very gorgeous. It would be... It would mm. be the loudest color that you can think of. <laughs> <laughs> so, removing the characters you play from the equation, what would your colors be? I will let everyone else go first. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's definitely that, uh, you know, Force Awakens. So, what are we doing? You go first. I go first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aww. I can. I can throw in. I'm not the most. Uh, knowledgeable about color symbolism and whatnot, and so this is probably not going to necessarily match up with uh, like pre-established things in mm. New Century. But I think I'm definitely one of those uh, kind of primary color than secondary color type mm. of personalities, right? When you're digging into these fun, you know, personality type mm. quiz things like astrology and stuff it's like oh well your blah blah sign is this and your other side is this and they each mean different things about you that's kind of like the uh, angle i'm going at this from mm. so i feel like my primary color would probably be like a kind of like a reddish orange a sunset or something i'm a pretty passionate person i can be a pretty critical person when my brain is on it's on and, you know, mm. things I really care about are kind of what, you know, gives me energy. And I think it, it's also a bit of like a, maybe not ambition, but like a drive, mm. you know, type of color. Mm. And then like secondary, kind of more of like, all right, the sun, you know, is setting. And it's kind of becoming that like bluish gray, which is my more calmer side, my more compassionate, kind side, which is, I think, where I, I default to a lot of the time as a person. And also a little bit a little bit of the gray because I can kind of like I do struggle with depression. Mm. So I can mm. very easily that there's that passionate side of me and then the extreme apathy. <laughs> and it, it just really, you know, it, it could just make like interfacing with, you know, my desire to do things mm. difficult. So I think mm. that is, you know, kind of that duality is definitely there. The idea of gray or like silver, as I described it, was actually something I brought up when I answered my own question last time, uh, because we did ask uh, Sharon, Theo and Loretta the same question of colour, and I had the same reasoning as you did, uh, Ryan, because I was thinking of like forest green and laced with silver or grey, which is to me this appreciation and deep passion of vitality and life laced with this underlying sadness that can thread some of your sort of decisions or not necessarily decisions but like is kind of in the background just like this backseat driver that threatens to overtake the wheel it was just interesting to see someone reach a similar conclusion to me yeah whether that's like a you know depression or a kind of like melancholy or something yeah maybe tempering your you know mm. more idealistic self for sure, yeah, I I, I do like that because melancholy can be a a bitter sweet sort of profound thing as well as uh, tinged with sadness. So I like having something that can be this positive and negative all at once. Yeah, absolutely. I actually find it intriguing 
listening to your answer, Orion, because as I was just like going mentally over in my head, I'd be like, okay, so they talked a little bit about white and black at the beginning when they got into the color conversation. I was like, okay, I remember they discussed red, blue, green, yellow, and purple. I don't think orange ever came up in a discussion of what that color would mean, because also I don't think anyone was wearing it at mm. that point. And of course, the idea of other colors on the spectrum that are not specifically Roy Biv or anything like that, a gray or other uh, transitional colors or anything like that doesn't come up either. So it would mm. be interesting to have a further expansion on the color mythology of autumn. Well, one possibility is that uh, because it is a world called autumn, that orange would almost be the overlapping color of everything in that same way that, you know, you watch a James Cameron film and everything is just blue. I can imagine that there's actually, when people lean towards having colors that have them stand out, you don't necessarily go towards the thing that is the color of everything around you or like and that's not to say that all of autumn does look like that but i had this feeling that it's there in the lighting now all of a sudden i'm thinking to myself oh okay no one wears orange because it reminds everybody that their world is dying great 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 <laughs> job everyone <laughs> oh wow so now i'm just thinking of like elaine goths and they just have the most orange thing but what if That's what amazing. if because orange is the color of the world, it also institutes camouflage? <laughs> oh yeah, it's camo. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I'm invisible. <laughs> you can't see me. <laughs> yeah, the ninjas all wear bright orange. <laughs> Hell yes, yeah, just, just traffic assaulted code by your orange. Of color. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Felix, what would your chosen color be? Uh, my chosen color would actually fairly much line up with Gany's color of blue. I mean, mm. blue has uh, a, a lot of a lot of different meanings, and I mean, from the most beautiful and brightest days out in the world, from you know flying high in the sky to being enveloped in something that is warm but also comforting, soft, and not in the least bit threatening because it's. It is a aura that I try to maintain. It is very important because you can walk into situations and not die. I was going to say, I'm not surprised at all because, first of all, people can't see this because it's an audio medium, but the room that you are in is blue. Yes. But I also just over the last couple of days, I happened to check in on your Twitter feed and I actually saw you post the pictures of you having just painted your room blue yes <laughs> so that's also a very recent change which means it's a color that you picked and that i was like thinking to myself oh so is this a color that specifically speaks to felix that's very interesting very much so this is this is a room that i have recently acquired and the previous colors in it were were very much purple doesn't quite speak to me in the way that uh, certain shades of blue do. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this the color that I very much enjoy looking at. And like if I were to open the window on a bright morning, the light coming in and reflecting off of the walls with the blue makes it feel open and welcoming. And so I just it, it speaks to me in mm -hmm. various tones. 
the longer this conversation goes on, the more and more I feel that there genuinely was no one else I could have imagined being a more perfect fit for Gani than you, Felix. It just, it seems to match up so well. Thank you. <laughs> Um, Maya, bring it home for us. Yeah, so if, you, if you've if you ever been or have ever seen the exact color of what the water looks like in, like, the Caribbean, that sort of, like, teal <sighs> color, that would, that would be me, 100%. Mm. It's kind of like a perfect combination of blue and green. It reminds me of my absolute favorite place to be. Like, that is my happy place. So I think if anything were to perfectly reflect my color of joy it's that very specific color of teal i can't love you any more than i do right now Maya, because <laughs> teal just happens to be my favorite color as well so it's just uh. like excellent choice is all i'm thinking in my head mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> thank you so there are no right answers to uh, what is your favorite color, but clearly there are right answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I demand a recount. <laughs> a few weeks back, Alex made a commentary about an editorial insert I added to one of the Century Tales episodes I put out, and said that my energy was very blue. In the world of autumn, blue is associated with being good at speaking, listening, but also that blue energy can lead to inaction. And I have to say that I thoroughly agree with those being significant aspects of myself. But as I've already said, I've always had a strong affinity specifically with teal, which, as Maya mentioned, is a blue-green tertiary color. There's an unusual synchronicity there, in that the kindness that Autumn associates with green has also been asserted as being a significant trait others have seen in me, and therefore my affinity with the blue-green shade could not be more appropriate. Something I had forgotten, though, is that blue-green is also the color of my eyes. That level of synchronicity has left me feeling far too self-conscious, so let's bring it back to the end of our show. Here we are at the end of the show. This has been... Uh, just the greatest treat, uh, like it always is, but it's been such a pleasure to get to know you, Felix, and you, Orion, and it's always a joy to be able to talk with you, Maya, so just thank all of you so much for coming on. I know I had a good time, and I'm positive that everyone <laughs> listening to this had a even better time. <laughs> Thank you for having us on. It's really awesome to be able to hear you guys out of out of the context of the actual story and mm. get to know the both of you a little bit better. So this has been a real treat for me as well. Definitely. Um, I heard most of you guys' voices, you know, uh, I say most of you guys' voices, but I've heard all of your voices, actually, <laughs> many times. <laughs> and... Yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was definitely looking forward to this. Whenever you want to, you know, invite me back, I will I will gladly uh, make time to do so. I mean, there's obviously going to be an appropriate time, but 
one of the neater side effects of being able to interview you for the purposes of be like, hey, this is the thing that you did. Tell me about the thing that you did is that we get to spend time with just generally cool people and interject mm. a little bit of socialization in with the, okay, yes, yeah, serious face, serious face. We're asking you professional questions. <laughs> if if we ever do a professional interview, Greg, just shoot me because like I will drop the veil immediately and just be like, all right, let's just have some goofy fun shit happen in this. <laughs> who says that that's not in itself a professional interview? I mean, who knows what actually goes beyond the door behind the doors for for some star shaped interviews? Mm. Like, it could be silly <laughs> as all hell. I would hope so. I would like to think so. Or anything involving Robin Williams. If you've ever seen his behind the actor's studio interview, where he just is just, I mean, he gets into it. He got into a serious mode for some of it, but he could not turn off the comedic aspects of his personality during like the first 20 minutes of uh, <laughs> being on stage in front of everybody. Greg, I can see you've made Felix sad. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, there will I... never be another genie. Yeah. No. All right. Oh, what do you need? Anyway, so um... <laughs> we we were oh, doing no. so well, and then we let uh, like now we've closed on a sad note. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's fine. I I didn't I didn't get a chance to express my my appreciation for being here as well. This is uh, a little something different for me, so I wholly appreciate it and it's wonderful to meet other other cast members as well since we've all been our our separate spheres and not really had a get-together party so yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> this, this is the rap party i'm i'm sorry that we forgot to bring the like little sort of snacks and drinks and everything but um like the, check your po box it'll be there sh soon <laughs> maybe <laughs> in know. slightly worse crusty wear but you know technically <laughs> provided Oh, they were going to well, send us some outcakes. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm still waiting for those. Did we get Full to choose circle. flavors? Thank you. Ryan. I hope so. <laughs> yes, we brought it back to the funny. Thank you. Very well done. <laughs> there it is. But yes, thank you for taking the time out to uh, let us... Uh... Wow, okay, now I've done it. I, <laughs> I can't... Like, Thank okay. you for letting us interrogate you for hours. <laughs> Do I get a pork cutlet bowl? <laughs> now I'm hungry. Yeah, no, I, I'm hungry too. But yeah, we should definitely let you go because we've been sitting here for close to three hours at this point. And I know that I definitely need to break because this isn't the most comfortable chair. So to everybody else, we hope that you were as entertained as we were through this fascinating little delving into the characters and lives of the voices of New Century and Stone Spring Maidens. And we'll see all of you on another trip through the wind door. Take care. I considered ending this episode on another Suzanne Vega song that makes me think of Harry, but I realized this time around that if I use it all now, I will have fewer pieces to work with when we finally do the Stone String Maidens retrospective. So instead, I'll end us with the promised reel of Maya trying to capture the spirit of the ridiculous Autumn Bit character she played. This piece titled Duchess Karen Du Hardcore, back with a little Kevin MacLeod for maximum relevance.
Ladies! Oh, goodness gracious! Look where you're damn well going! Oh, get away! Away with you! Oh, my goodness! Look where you're damn well going! Oh, goodness, such filth! Oh, I can't! Look where you're damn well going! Get your head out of the clouds, girl! Stop eye-frocking our stallion! Oh, he's mine! He's all mine! Oh, for heaven's sake! Go, go, get out of the way! You, you, oh, you girl! You, oh, such filth! Such filth! Get your head out of the clouds, girl! Get your head out of the clouds! Why don't you get your head out of the clouds, girl? Are you trying to cuckold me? Stop eye-frocking our stallion! How dare you! How dare you try to, to make me into a cuck! My goodness! Feel faint. I get. Royston! Royston! Fetch me my powders! Oh, oh thank you. Mm. 